Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Have you heard about The Bird? It's episode number 46 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most beloved Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me this evening is the master of fear, Mr. Liam O'Donnell. How are things, Liam? Uh, quite fearful, in fact. That's funny you should bring that up. You know, Liam, I'll I'll dig into your fears in just a moment, but I just uh, I just noticed that in the intro, uh, I use qualifiers in the intro regarding our status as an Eric Roberts-related podcast, right? Because up until recently, we were in competition with another Eric Roberts podcast. We were. It was the one that was hosted by Eric Roberts. Oh, right. Well, I mean, can that can he really compete with us? Come on. Well, I the bigger question is, can you really call it a podcast? Because I don't, I'm not even sure if it was ever on like an iTunes feed or anything like that. But there was a radio show that featured Eric Roberts and his lovely wife Eliza. And uh, we were in competition with that. It seems kind of weird to be in competition with the namesake of the program, but we were. But now that that series, my understanding is that no longer exists, which means that we are, I, I guess, victorious. Yeah, I mean, we we knew we were going to set out and crush the competition. Luckily for us, there was only one. But mm-hmm. now that we have, we can crush all other podcasts. You know, I feel like we had an edge on that show because of our blood oath. I, I'm sure that was part of it. I think another part of it was your uh, Newfoundland, Newfoundland, Newfoundland working spirit, working oh, edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Murder you on this program, I think. Yeah. Liam, what yeah. are you most afraid of in this world? Right now, anything related to my daughter. Like, right. I just think about all oh, the various things that can go wrong, and I get <laughs> bummed out. It's like a real bummer. Especially when I add me into the equation, because I'm not exactly a source of stability or rationality in the world. Liam, I have. I just have to ask you one thing. Yes, sir. Um, crib death, bad, right? My God. Mm-hmm. That's where we're gonna go. We're I'm going just asking there. you a question. I just. I'm. I don't yeah. know the, about these things because I don't have a child. I haven't made <laughs> that leap in my life. So it's bad, right? Yes, we're gonna go with bad. Right. Great. Our guest today is the supremely Scottish host of the podcast Under the Stairs, which I've been lucky enough to guest on semi-frequently, the co-host of the Midnight Horror Show and a writer for Rock and Reel Reviews. It's Duncan McClash. How you doing, Duncan? I am doing very well, gents. Thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Did I mangle your last name just then, Duncan? Uh, to be honest with you, you only really need to be Scottish to pronounce it, so anyone out with that is afforded the rights to mispronounce it. So well, I... I uh, over here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. The podcast that you're on today, we take a lot of pride in pronouncing things very, very accurately. So, so could you say your last name for all of us? Yeah, it's McLeish. So no, think no, I don't think so. And then add a uh, Mick. McLeish. That's nice. it. Yeah, that seems a, wrong. I have a dog, and sometimes I put her on a leash, so that will help me remember. <laughs> What I do find, by the way, is when I make a lot of effort to get someone's last name correct, I find out later that I never use the last name because I only need to call you Duncan, Duncan. See, this is what happens. Just think if McDonald's released a line of leashes, Mm -hmm. it would be McLeashies. Holy shit. 
That is, I'm never going to forget. Now, how about you, Liam? <laughs> I already forgot it. What are we talking about? Oh, right, <laughs> you're, you're, you're having a little fun with us over there, Liam, but I, I appreciate it. Uh, and by the way, I really appreciate, Duncan, you staying up so late. This is our um, uh, our second episode in a row with someone from your uh, neck of the woods, let's say. Uh, but our first time having a Scottish guest on. And in fact, Duncan, the first time that you've ever guested on a program that I hosted, though I've been on uh, episodes of your podcast a few times. It's super exciting. This is me being able to finally reciprocate everything that you've done for me, which is a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, I've, I've appeared on your show. Uh, for those who haven't listened to the podcast Under the Stairs, it's great. It's a wonderful podcast. And I've been part of some roundtable episodes where we cover the entire filmographies of certain directors. So far, we've covered uh, the entirety of John Carpenter's career, as well as David Cronenberg's. And those ended up being epic, like five and six hour long recording sessions that just yeah. sapped everyone's will to live. But we're, I think... Uh, Entertaining, at least for the first hour or two. <laughs> yeah, for like for anyone out there that's like, oh, right, five or six. No, that's in one sitting. Mm-hmm. That's like recording for half a day, essentially, like clearing your schedule, kissing goodbye to your loved ones, and locking yourself into a room with a microphone and the knowledge that the fact that you've watched an entire filmography of a director and then speaking about it with passion for like six hours, which is no mean feat by any stretch of the imagination, but. I mean, you you've done two of mm-hmm. what would of, of genre cinema be considered two of the luminaries, the yes. yeah. As as well as doing other shows out that we've done a huge kind of look into the back catalogue of Filchi as mm-hmm. well as Mario Bava. I mean, you've been on all, you've been on the show quite a lot. Not recently because I'm lazy and I struggle to stay up to record with people abroad. But uh-huh. you've done a lot, and I appreciate it all. But yeah, this is cool. This is a show that I remember when you launched the show, and I was like, "This is never going to last." <laughs> it's a couple of couple of weeks, <laughs> Eric Roberts, and that'll be it. I didn't realize he'd done so much. Uh-huh. I didn't realize he'd done he'd done so but, much that I didn't like. So you um, were feeling, so you were feeling hopeful that, like, at some point, Doug would realize the error of his ways and end this project. But you were wrong. Uh huh. No, I was I was wrong. I didn't realize this is episode forty six. In your fucking face, McLeish. <laughs> but, it's like but, if McDonald's released a leash, McLeish. See, yes, you know what? I, I think we've got that nailed down for sure. <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, you know, if I had any sense, Duncan, I certainly wouldn't have lasted at this point forty-six episodes of this Eric Roberts-related <laughs> podcast. What I found when I first created this podcast was I would tell people the concept, and they'd be like, "Oh, ho, ho, that's great!" And then they would fucking forget that it ever existed for about three years. <laughs> Uh, and and pretend that it didn't exist. And you know, every once in a while, I'd remind people. Remember, I have an Eric Roberts podcast, and they're like, "Oh, that's right. That's very, very funny, Douglas." Anyway, I have to go on and live <laughs> my actual real life while you do this fucking idiocy that no one gives a shit about. I think Eric Roberts did it. If that's any, he. You know what? He's been in a real string of retweeting our episodes lately. Uh, which uh, kudos to you, Eric Roberts. We have a lot of news to deliver today. In fact, we should get to that in just a moment. But before we do that, Duncan, I have to ask you: What is your Eric Roberts history? Oh, this is quite a good one, actually. I, I like this because um, I didn't realize that my history with Eric Roberts went back as far as it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very much aware of him. In kind of modern cinema and the fact that he appears in a lot of movies that I watch 
because he just works so goddamn hard. Because he's one of these working actors. He's out there earning paychecks, you know, cashing those checks, paying the bills. Mm-hmm. But um, funnily enough, I believe the very first time I ever saw him in a movie was The Specialist. And ah. I remember when The Specialist came out on VHS. Um, I was a big slice Stallone fan. Oh, Stallone, let's watch everything he does. Maybe it'll be as good as Rambo, and not a lot of them are. Um, and the <laughs> specialist, he he doesn't have the biggest role in that movie, but thinking back on it, he's been in he's been with me forever, Doug. He's you, been I think the cable he, guy. He was in that movie, and I went <laughs> to see that movie on my birthday. And he plays himself in that movie, which is why I forgot about that. I don't know if Jim Carrey was obviously don't you want somebody? And you know, that's your focus on that. But he was there as well, yeah. I think Eric Roberts has always been with me. I just mm-hmm. didn't know it. Well, certainly it seems like you've seen two films which have him in it. <laughs> <laughs> one of them one of those movies which involves him literally for three seconds on the screen. <laughs> it's weird. It's like like in prep for this show. I was very much aware that, you know, I need to know a bit more about Eric. You know, I know a superficial value of Eric Roberts, but I don't know the inner crux. And then when you start going through his filmography, and like I said before, has worked a lot, but I start realising that his name keeps popping up in a lot of movies I've seen, and I couldn't necessarily recall him being in that movie. And I don't know if that's the the hallmark of a genius actor, in that he will just like be like the chameleon, disappearing into the background or if that's a mark of a bad actor and that you can't remember his performances i'm going for the first not the latter I, will, the first. I bet if you went to an actor and said you know i really appreciate your career i immediately forget that you were in any of the movies i see you in. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily go over well however you know what eric roberts he is like a chameleon he just slips into these roles and sometimes what you it's not that you forget about him necessarily it's just that you don't recognize him as eric roberts you recognize him as his characters that he's bringing to life on the screen that's how i'm going <laughs> to interpret what you just said <laughs> well the, the funny thing about the two the two things we're going to be talking about here on this show is one of them is very much a superficial performance um the second one he holds more mainstay over and actually in the the in that capacity, I found them far more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really get a bit more range of the actor. Um, and regardless what you say about Eric Roberts, the man can act. Maybe he's maybe he's collected a paycheck on a couple of occasions, and maybe he's not maybe delivered a performance which will set the world on fire. But I have seen so many more established actors put in far more telephone performances than he has done in the features tonight of which there is so much to talk about, so I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks again for inviting me on for this one, Doug. <laughs> well, you know, Duncan, I will say before we get into those uh, projects that I did give you the opportunity to, you know, have some input on the choices for this episode. Uh, and you did, uh, in, here in the in the... In North America, we use the term "dilly dally" in regards yeah, to yeah. I'm 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 going through this kind of weird kind of social network thing just now, where I am trying, where possible, to spend as little time as possible on Facebook and on Facebook Messenger. So as a result, I will read messages, but I don't necessarily answer them straight away. I'll try and wait a day to try and wean myself off this. Like, well, we all know what's going on in the world, and I'm addicted to it um especially in politics so i'm trying to move myself away from it so sometimes i'm a bit late and i was like you know what would be really cool we should talk about this movie with lance hendrickson and you were like done 
which is clearly showing up the fact that I'm many, many episodes behind on your show. Um, like <laughs> I many, think we covered that in episode maybe number seven or eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many, many episodes, and I was like, oh, fuck. Um, so as soon as that dropped, I was like, well, I, I, and I tried to look at other ones, and you obviously focus on the big titles that Eric Roberts maybe be, he's maybe less involved in those big titles. It's possible. Um, and you... You just went for it. You you were like, listen, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, yeah, the Wolves of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese. That's Can't right. All-star cast, Oscar yeah, nominations. McCon- the McConaughey's in this one. Can't wait. We'll beat our chest together. We'll sing some sort of mantra. It'll be awesome. And then I realized it was not the movie that I thought it was. Um, <laughs> thank you once again for that, Doug. Thank you very uh, oh, much. Oh, there'll, there'll be lots of thanking uh, yet to do. But first, we have to go over the latest Eric Roberts news on... The Roberts Report. I know it's been a huge week in the Eric Roberts verse when I get multiple Google alerts for the man's name. The big news over the last couple of days have been Eric's upcoming appearance in the indie drama Never Saw It Coming, currently filming in Sudbury, Ontario. That's right, Eric Roberts in Ontario. I mean, he usually is in Ontario because he films parts in that TV series Suits, which we're going to watch at some point. But he's going to be in the film Never Saw It Coming. And what is most notable about this particular indie thriller, outside of it being filmed here in Ontario, is that uh, it got a lot of fucking publicity. Like, this was all over the place. Uh, Not only was I getting it in my news alerts, it, it appeared in newspapers. Hear that, Liam? Eric Roberts in a newspaper? It newspaper. happened. Newspaper. Newspaper. Um, and again, probably because it is, um, it stars like a Canadian <laughs> and it's directed by a Canadian. And we, we really love focusing on our shit, except when it, it, it actually comes to releasing it into cinemas, then it'll never happen. Um, but perhaps at one point in the near future, we will see Never Saw It Coming. <laughs> now that I think about it, that title is actually a little ironic. Um, <laughs> The aim, according to this article from the Toronto Star, is for Never Saw It Coming to be finished by late summer in time for fall film festivals. Uh, We love, of course, to see which projects they list next to Eric Roberts' name to show his level of fame. It says, Roberts, star of Lost Girl, CSI, and Heroes. Remember he was on that CSI episode that we watched, Liam? Oh, my God. (laughs) Academy Award-nominated actor... They put fucking heroes and CSI on. But what are you, you going to do? Not everyone is an Eric Roberts obsessive like Liam, myself, and Duncan are. Now let's take a deep dive into Eric Roberts' latest tweets. Of course, if you want to follow Eric Roberts on Twitter, I highly recommend you do it. It's a lot of really good, uh, deep, fascinating stuff. You can find out what's going on with Richard Marks and David Duchovny. You just need to go to at Eric Roberts on Twitter, all one word. And recently, on March 28th, Eric Roberts tweeted out, Words are like clothes. They express you, but also cover you. Mm. Dunk, Duncan, agree or disagree? Oh, I totally agree with that. That's profound. Now, they say, Duncan, that the clothes make the man. So if words are like clothes, then words must also make the man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were going to wear something, say, for a fancy party, but you're not wearing clothes, you're wearing words, what are some words that you would choose, Duncan? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's actually not a good one, but please continue. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you paint me in this corner. Um, uh-huh. And at this hour as well, thank you very much for that, Doug. Uh, I would say things like, um, oh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, because that will cover 
that that word in itself with the amount of letters it has will just cover my penis size and no more. Oh, um, excellent. Very good. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, oh, what about um, Expedition? I like that one. Don't know why, but That's we're going to go with that one. Uh, what about uh, 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 Incredulous? Let's go with that one. That one sounds fancy as well. Okay, um, I'm going to stop you right there simply because listening to you think of words, as entertaining as it is to me, for other people, <laughs> they might not enjoy it quite Lost as much. Lost five listeners in that moment there. Thanks very much. <laughs> he was just saying words for like 10 minutes. Liam. Jesus. Liam, what is no one, st- no one stopped him. It was like it's like no one knew what it's like no one knew that Duncan didn't know that this was a joke segment and he should have just moved on. There are no joke segments on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Liam None. Liam, what is your favorite word? Um probably delineate. Really? Delineate. That's a, there's a kids in the hall sketch which involves the word delineate. Yep. No, yeah, you followed my joke right to the end. Good work. No problem. Well, I feel like these obscure references are not helping our listenership <laughs> at all. No, I don't know that I have a favorite word um, because uh, I, I, I'm the sort of writer when I'm when I'm like getting into something I enjoy that I like taking words apart. So often, like if I think too hard on a word I enjoy, it ends up kind of losing some of its meaning. Right. So I don't know. I don't know that I have something that's a favorite for me. Liam, you're straight edge. I am. Yeah, that means that you do not partake in drugs and liquor? Uh, yeah. Right, okay. I'm just getting a quick summary because that actually plays into this next tweet by Eric Roberts. He made it on March 27th, and he said, Drugs are the biggest liars and promise breakers of all. Ever notice that people who use them often list being lied to as their number one pet peeve? Whoa. Liam, have you ever noticed that? I've literally never noticed that, um, and I'm confused. Because, <laughs> now, please uh, tell me why you're confused, because now I want to hear this. <laughs> because what I want to know is, shouldn't this have an asterisk except weed, though? Except you know what I mean? Dough. Like, like my man still is into the weed. He just was doing the show about weed not that long ago. That's true. So he just means drugs other than weed. Yeah, because that I think maybe in his mind that's not drugs. I do know, by the way. I think I saw a recent tweet that Eric Roberts does not drink. He's like you. He's a teetotaler. Sure, I mean, e- except for the ganj. But yes, I. I, I <laughs> oh, he gets zooted uh, often. You know, I'm sure if you he's have chronic. Weed, I'm sure if you have enough weed, alcohol has to lose its appeal, right? Like. I don't know. A- anyway. Well, although soon enough, it, they're apparently making it legal on Canada Day, January 1st, next year, 2018, here in Canada. Everyone's going to be blazing their dead homies. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I don't know Duncan, if that's quite the right use of that phrase. but Duncan, what's what's yeah. your illegal drug of choice? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is Scotland. Um, nothing's illegal. Oh, ah, at the same time. <laughs> oh, boy. It's only illegal if you get caught. That well, I, I wasn't asking. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then let me rephrase, counselor. Um, what is your legal drug of choice? My legal drug of choice, oh, mm. alcohol, obviously. All right, and what is your alcoholic drink of choice? Oh, now you put me on the spot. I um, certainly am. Oh is- God, I'm going to sell out Jack Daniels. Oh my goodness, the Scottish sell out love- to the mighty Stars and Stripes. They, they love America. They love their Jack Daniels. Liam, are you disgusted by what you just heard? 
Why would it? Why? Uh, at the level that uh, a Scottish person chose a, an American drink? Yeah, that's pretty fucking awful. No, the fact <laughs> that he loves that booze. You know, the booze. Uh-huh. This is this thing you have where anything about me that's not like you, you want to be like, oh, look at this fucking crazy thing about Liam. It's crazy. You know what, Liam? I, Liam, I, Liam, I literally, Liam, I need to yeah. interrupt you for a second. I'm the host. You're the co-host, but you're the host. I'm the host here. <laughs> I actually have something for you. Oh, God. I have made the decision recently in my life, uh-huh. and, and this is true. This is 100% sincere, and I'm, I'm holding myself to it because I'm saying it on the show, that I'm going to become a vegetarian. Uh, for moral reasons. Wow, isn't that something? Why is that? I can't... Why is that for me though? Just because I would find it interesting. Because this is the something that's different from you that you can then use as a way to define me in the way that I define you by say your ability to say John or your ridiculous swarthy look or your uh, lack of drinking and drug taking. But here's the issue: is that uh-huh. um, I don't make fun of veg- vegetarians or vegans for their choices because I think that that is whack. Well, it is whack. It's wiggity whack. Uh, in fact, <laughs> fuck you in your fucking Canadian face. <laughs> hey, recently uh, they released a trailer for a documentary about Larry Cohen, the director. I'm sure everyone here is a big fan. Uh, I'm hopefully some of our listeners are as well. You might know him as the director of The Ambulance, which starred Eric Roberts. This documentary, King Cohen, The Wild World of Filmmaker Larry Cohen, will be coming out fairly soon. And in that uh, trailer, they actually feature an interview with Eric Roberts, probably about his appearance in The Ambulance. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, Just quickly, over to both of you, because we're already running a little long. Duncan, favorite Larry Cohen movie? The Stuff. The Stuff. Oh, about you, Liam? I mean, I would have probably said The Stuff, but I guess I'll go with (laughs) Cue the Winged Serpent. Uh, Cue the Winged Serpent is the one that I would have went with. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to have to be stuck with having to say, huh. you don't know, you're looking at the IMDB right now. You have no I, idea. Uh, I, you'd hear me clicking around fuck face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with God told me to as much. Oh, that's, nice. that one's really good too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh huh. So what, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Over on www.care2.com slash causes and some other stuff which we'll put in the show notes. Uh, There's an article that says, these celebrities have a powerful message about animals and entertainment. This is a link to a YouTube video where celebrities, a collection of very famous celebrities, talk about their love for animals. And it seems a little ironic now that I just mentioned my upcoming vegetarianism uh, because, (laughs) um, because, of course, we know that Eric Roberts loves Animals. He mentions them all the time to a really ridiculous extent when you think about it. Uh, and uh, this particular video includes celebrities such as Ed Asner, Danny Boyle, <laughs> Brian Blessed, James Crump. Well, this is a fucking crazy list. Moby. Brian Blessed, dear God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I hope they let off with him. Moby, uh, Mindy Sterling, Alexandra Paul, I don't know who that is, and Diane Warren, who we know, of course, as the composer of the theme song to Star Trek Enterprise. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. But Eric Roberts is in this video talking about how much he loves animals. And, of course, we'll link that in the show notes so you can check out that video as well. Or you can go over to our Facebook group and watch it right now. Now, you may recall, longtime listeners, that we mentioned a movie... A very interesting sounding movie called Victory by Submission, which is a faith-based mixed martial arts movie featuring... (laughs) (laughs) This is a real thing, Duncan. (laughs) Nothing to laugh about. Don't just say that in one sentence. 
I'm very used to at this point saying faith-based mixed martial arts movie <laughs> starring Eric Roberts, Lee Majors, and Fred the Hammer Williamson. That's right. Directed by former Fresno mayor and Hollywood actor Alan Autry, who I only know from the sitcom Grace Under Fire from the 1990s. Uh, and this is an article that uh, from yourcentralvalley.com that is entitled Madeira Off uh, sorry Madeira Police Officer Stars in Alan Autry's new movie talking about how this movie which by the way I mentioned has Eric Roberts uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson and Lee Majors in it uh it stars a guy who's a police officer not an actor so I hope everyone's looking forward to this oh did I mention it's faith based yeah it is <laughs> and again I'm not going to mock anything about that but I will say that this sounds like the craziest goddamn movie, and I can't wait to watch it. And we will watch it. Liam, why is that? Blood Oath. Blood Oath. <laughs> Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's The Candidate, directed by Dan Ocolo and featuring Eric and Eliza Roberts as Bill and Marlene Sagal. And get this plot summary. <clears throat> this is ridiculous. The die is cast, and Stuart Sagal is projected to win for the governor's house of the state of Texas, but on a whim, he blows that golden of a chance, I swear this is how it's written, on a hundred dollar whore. With that, African-born Texan Tim Baia finds himself staring down the barrel of weirdest Texas musket (laughs) in a deal too good to be true and too palatable to resist. But this whirlwind is actually a storm of immense proportion, and Tim Baia will either ride it to the safe house or die trying. That is the fucking psychotic plot summary of 2017's The Candidate. Look for that in the very near future. (laughs) Well, here's here's the thing about some of the movies that we mentioned on Eric Roberts' IMDb page. Look, they... I'm sure they planned for it to exist at some point. That doesn't mean it's ever going to be made. <laughs> but we will be looking for 2017's The Candidate in the very near future. Now, uh, we need to take our first break. But before we do that, Duncan, why don't you tell us the projects we're going to be watching today? Oh, you have chosen. I have. Oh, so much fun. Um, yeah, not to be mistaken for the Scorsese Masterpiece. I'll say masterpiece because it, it did fairly well. Uh, we're going to be watching Wolves of Wall Street from 2002. Did not know this movie existed. Doesn't look like it was shot in 2002 either. Um, and then <laughs> we're, we're going to be following up with um, episode number two of season one of Fear Itself. A show that I didn't know existed and I started watching that episode two. So can't wait for this one. <laughs> well, it is a horror anthology, so it's not like there was too much continuity to worry about. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> but I definitely do want to mention before we get to the break that this uh, Wolves of Wall Street movie is the very first of the Eric Roberts, David Dakota collabs. Uh, and they have since filmed, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven other movies together, including. Um. A Halloween Puppy, featured on this very show. Snow White, A Deadly Summer. Bonnie and Clyde, Justified, featured on this very show. Hansel and Gretel, Warriors of Witchcraft. A Talking Cat, featured on this show. Doc Holliday's Revenge, featured on this show. Bigfoot vs. D.B. Cooper, The Wrong Roommate, Sorority Slaughterhouse, Evil Exhumed, and A Husband for Christmas. Uh, Those last two from the year 2016. David Dakota and Eric Roberts have a very productive and fruitful working relationship. Let's see if they started out on the right foot. Right after this, we'll be talking 2002's Wolves of Wall Street. 
Jordan Belfort is a Long Island penny stockbroker who served 22 months in prison for defrauding investors in a massive, hey, wait a second. That's the plot summary for Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street (laughs) from the year 2013, a very good movie that I highly recommend to all of you. But what we're going to be talking about is 2002's Wolves of Wall Street, directed by David Takoto, best known for those films that I mentioned before the break, as well as Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama. Nightmare Sisters, Puppet Master 3, uh, and so on. <laughs> Very, uh, He really is the Eric Roberts of directors because he works just so goddamn much. But this film <clears throat> involves this. Jeff Allen just got a new job in one of Manhattan's wealthiest brokerage firms, Wolf Brothers. Get it? Here, young, good-looking stockbrokers make a lot of money by being particularly cutthroat. Jeff finds out that the real secret to their success is an animal instinct that is turning him into a werewolf. But it may be too late for him to get out. It's 2002's Wolves of Wall Street. Yes, this is a werewolf Wall Street movie. Who would have thought it? Uh, The only problem with this as a movie, (laughs) well, maybe there's more than one. But in terms of the werewolf aspect of it is that um, in this particular movie, it is just actors acting like wolves. Uh, there is some slight makeup late in the movie, but it's not like you're going to get a Rick Baker or Rob Bottin transformation sequence. You don't even get to see someone's fingernails slowly grow longer, my favorite of all makeup effects. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in, if you're going into this expecting a classic werewolf movie, it might not be your cup of tea, but let's see if it was our guest's cup of tea. Starting with you, Duncan, what did you think of Wolves of Wall Street? <laughs> Um, uh-huh. actually, I thought you were. I thought you were playing a prank on me. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's that like good, Doug's, huh? Doug's hazing me. That's clearly what he's doing. This is one of these fraternity hazing things. I've been a podcaster for a while, but I'm not really part of the the, the frat boy attitude. And Doug is clearly punking me here. I'm um, a bro. Everybody knows it. <laughs> this, uh, this oh dear god it looks like it's it was like a rejected version it was like a rejected like offshoot fucking outtake episode of charmed because that's the filming quality i literally I, I there are very few movies that while i'm watching them i feel the need to switch them off I, and i'm a completist i always watch everything to sure. the end this one <clears throat> this one pushed that that um, innate status I have to watch things to the end. Um, and the, the funny thing is, Eric Roberts is actually really good in it. The rest of the movie is just really bad. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, hate, I hate to tell you this, Duncan, but this is not even in the top 20 percentile of, of terrible <laughs> movies, even that Eric Roberts and David Dakota have done together. This might well, be the best of all of the collaborations I've seen so far. I'm glad you said 20% because doing a bit of research on this one, um, the IMDb rating is about 20%, but this one holds a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. So (laughs) a lot of people were really high when they watched this movie. Yeah. yeah, Like, like once I knew where the movie was going, and this movie pretty much, the the references in the first 10 minutes to pack and hunting... (laughs) In groups, and I was like, right, they're really just going for this one here. In case you didn't know, the amount of the words here that could be attributed to wolves or werewolves are, you know, pretty much prevalent in the in the dialogue. So they're not really going for subtlety here. 
But I always thought that, you know, I watch it because on the off chance that I may get 2002, so, you know, we're a fair bit on from things, movies like you mentioned before, like Silver Bullet or American Werewolf in London. Sure. Th- there'll be some sort of transformation that might explain the, the lack of budget and everything else here. There's going to be some bitching, rad practical effect, which never comes in this movie. And when I realised, like, maybe about, 15 minutes from the end that that wasn't going to happen I'll be honest with you part of me started questioning my life commitments and my podcast <laughs> guest appearances so. well they did afford uh, the effect of having a, a picture of a full moon next to the cityscape <laughs> that they use about 5,000 times throughout the movie uh, I do want to uh, mention to both of you that uh, this film uh, was written by Barry L. Levy and uh, you might not know that name but you might know a film he made a couple of years ago called Vantage Point which, uh, oh. yeah, an all-star movie where an event is shown from all sorts of different perspectives. And uh, that was a Hollywood movie with a Hollywood budget, with a Hollywood cast. Uh, so Barry L. Levy went on to bigger and better things, I would say. In this movie, he's mostly uh, d- just wants to really telegraph that these are werewolves. <laughs> if you have any question <laughs> about it, these guys are wolves for real. And we know that because there are scenes of uh, young men ripping their clothes to shreds and then crawling on all fours towards women who are sitting down and watching them quizzically because why wouldn't you be? <laughs> uh, and uh, and I guess uh, these women are um, uh, prostitutes and they end up getting uh, eaten in ways that we don't necessarily see on screen. Over to you, Liam. Let's mm-hmm. take it from a different perspective. What did you think of Wolves of Wall Street? <laughs> uh, it was... It was bad, but it was not as bad as I thought it would be. The moment I saw the cover of the movie, or I say cover, but, you know, the promotional poster, I thought, oh, I'm in for it. This is not going to be great. And then I saw that it was the guy who did that cat movie, uh, a talking cat. And I thought, oh, and the Bonnie and Clyde one. Didn't we watch that one, too? Yes, we did watch Bonnie and Clyde Justified. Yeah, that was painful as well. So I thought, oh, this is going to be really bad. And it and it is not good, but uh, but it was not as bad as it could be. And some of the ways that it was bad were really amusing to me. So let me highlight one. Uh, our our hero is this country bumpkin, I guess, is what we're supposed to get. He's he's from the small. He's from like a small town. He comes to New York. He immediately tries to get a job. He ends up at this firm. And all we know about this firm is that it's the Wolf Brothers, right? <laughs> is the name of it, which yeah. is just ridiculous. <laughs> and then when he's in the place. For whatever reason, <laughs> these particular stock guys, what do they call that? A uh, broker. Stockbrokers. They don't need like computers and shit to no. do their stuff. Mm-mm. They're just in a gothic room yep. on their cell phones, and then they just hand pieces of paper to their lackeys. And uh, this particular work environment, the first time you see it, besides the fact that it doesn't actually seem like whoever wrote the script has ever seen what <laughs> stock brokering is, <laughs> no there's kidding. also the reality that it's just a series of cuts and slow motion shots. I would call it a music video style. It looks like a bad 90s music video. Sure. And that was mildly amusing. It became more amusing when they used the same footage just cut in a mildly different way. Not even extremely different. Just a couple of different shots uh, four more times in the film. Every time mm-hmm. they go to the office... The same suits, the same shots. The one dude's on the fucking treadmill. The other guy with the computer is also on a treadmill. He's not walking on the treadmill, but he's on it, and he has a laptop in front of him. They just keep showing you that shit. The best part is they use that clip one time. It's just a short bit. 
after our man has gotten the job. He's not even an intern anymore. And you're like, wait a minute. Those are the interns. They're gone at this point because he's gotten the fucking job. And then when he gets a job, he starts wearing the backwards old man hat like he's mm-hmm. fucking uh, he, he's like Samuel Andy Jackson. Yeah, or he's, <laughs> he is current Samuel Jackson, basically. <laughs> uh, that's ridiculous. His entire relationship with his, he, you know, the, there's a love story in the film. Mm-hmm. He just happens to get the job because he hits on a bar or he flirts with a bartender who's like, I don't know why she sends him there when she's like, something terrible happened to my ex yeah, there, yeah. but you should get a job because it's cool or whatever. Um, uh, their whole relationship is ridiculous. He His transformation into, quote unquote, a wolf, whatever the fuck they're supposed to be. I mean, th- th- what's weird about this is like, like you said, there, there's no uh, makeup that indicates their werewolf transformation. Right. Other than the one part where he gets really upset at the party, mm-hmm. he has like veins, like he's a fucking scanner or yeah, something. Yeah, like he's yeah, like he's his head is going to explode. Which, by the way, would have been a real surprise. <laughs> it would have been better than everything that happened in the movie. Well, I, I, he, I, I yes, please. He, like in that scene, he just bites a guy who's just really annoyed that he's been bitten. You notice that? Like, there's no real the guy. He he. he so earlier, just like, dude, what did you do? Yeah, you he's just, just kind of like, me. oh, you bit me. Oh, whatever. I was like, just gonna beat the shit out of you. <laughs> but you know, you think if a guy took a chunk out of your neck, there might mm-hmm. be some convulsing or something. I don't know. I think it's weird that at the very end of the movie, spoiler alert, that him and the girl, after murdering all of these men and just leaving their bodies on the ground, they think that they can just walk away from this when they've. Committed murder. Like, there's no way that people are not going to be able to connect him. He was the other member of the firm, the one that didn't die. <laughs> right. He was with them all, and he just thinks it's like, let's just get away from here. Like, like they're not going to track him down in five minutes. Not only did he do that, he even threw the murder weapon down with the fucking corpse to make it all the more easy to find him. Very strange, I would say. It's Liam- also clear to me that in killing the one guy... The one uh, attractive actor, you know, they're all supposed to be like attractive broker guys. Yeah. And there's like one dude who's attractive and then all the rest just look like chuds in, in vaguely nice suits. Oh. And of course, he's the head of the the pack because he's the only like not chud in the group. This is also and, a spoiler, uh, by the way. <laughs> oh, sorry. Because <laughs> we're supposed to think the whole movie, Liam, that Eric Roberts is the pack leader. Oh, uh, right. That's right. I should have said spoiler alert. And mm-hmm. it's the worst like trick. Like when it's not Eric Roberts, I was like, ah, fuck you. Well, as soon as he started mentioning to his girlfriend, well, you know, uh, Eric Roberts' character, who, by the way, is uh, is named Dyson Keller, uh, that Dyson <laughs> Keller, he's like, well, he's the pack leader. I just need to kill him. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, he is not the fucking pack leader. <laughs> <laughs> probably the guy who you've spent 98% of the movie with, he's probably going to end up being the pack leader. It seems weird to me, though, like... What we're supposed to accept is that the pack leader was like, you know, since this other guy that I turned into were- werewolf is older than me, we'll just make him the boss and let mm-hmm. him like abuse us. Yeah. And then and I'll just like us. lead from behind. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan, over to you for a moment. <clears throat> what are your thoughts on capitalism? In general? Yeah, <laughs> or generally. In this movie? No, generally. <laughs> Uh, well, I live in a country which has its polit- uh, political leanings more towards the socialist angle. Mm-hmm. So whilst I'm not adverse to capitalism, I think it, it has its benefits. I think that ramping capitalism is a bad thing, Doug. And it's in a fact, very, very, very bad thing. And in fact, in this movie, these Wall Street gentlemen, these stockbrokers, they celebrate 
capitalism. They're like, mm-hmm. take it all. It's all ours. Fuck whoever you want. They're all ours. And like, they're very, um, they're not good people, I would say. They're not like the kind no. of good, decent human beings that you would hope were controlling the entire money system in the United States of America. Um, <laughs> however, uh, there's also another element to this movie. Now, th- th- there is supposed to be a level of satire that's very obvious here, where they're basically these these hardcore, you know, Wall Street capitalists are almost like a pack of animals, right? That they so don't care about anyone else that they literally feed on them as werewolves. However, there is another interpretation you can make here, and this kind of connects with the career of David Dakota. Now, Liam, why don't you explain that to us? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you're gonna throw this hot potato my way. Um, uh-huh. There might there might be an element of um, homoeroticism to the film. Right. I mean, there's a there's a sense in which they want him to be loyal with them. That their only relationship to women. I mean, I, I don't know. I actually don't know that it's. Um, uh, it, it it it's clear that it's homoeroticism, but it is a certain sort of thing where the the women in the movie are portrayed as uh, the prey of the werewolf dudes, right? Um, and it's it, it's weird because they talk about that they want them sexually, that the women want them sexually, but on the other hand, it seems as if they're probably just eating these women. Like I don't yeah. think that they are. Making them. love to them. No, no, oh, no. I believe. Sorry, I didn't know you were going to go with the making love angle there. Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> trying to be classy. I don't think they're having coitus, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I don't mean eating that they're having cunnilingus. I mean it seems as if they these women they're they're feasting on their them. Um, and in fact, it almost seems like uh, at a certain point they're serving raw raw meat at yeah. the and that's probably you know women from another time that they've chopped sure. up or whatever, whatever. Leftovers. Uh, I gotcha. And so there's there's a tension. But it's unclear. What's weird about it is there's a tension between our, our protagonist and his new uh, wolf bros uh, and the fact that he has this girlfriend. But that uh, conflict is also complicated by it seems like Eric Roberts wants his girlfriend. Yeah. So there's like there's almost like a weird relationship there, especially because we're led to believe that Eric Roberts is, in fact, the alpha where Eric Roberts is sort of trying to push his dominance. So it's unclear the every scene with the bros together has a weird thing to it where you're kind of like, are they also, besides the fact that they are brothers in not being real werewolves, uh, are they also sort of like together in some sort of erotic thing? Now, now I should stop you there, Liam. Now, you've described this homoerotic nature of this movie as you use the word weird. Now, now, why uh, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, just because it's un- it's 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 a sort of subtext that if it's mm-hmm. if that's supposed to be the subtext, it's not clear to me. You know, there's there's a way in which the their uh, time together is portrayed that you could say has that element to it, but it's not. It's like mixed up with other things. So I don't really, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be what's going on in the movie. And there is a sense in which it's the wolf bros against everyone else, but they that also gets messed up by the fact that by mistake, our protagonist turns his girlfriend into a werewolf, even though we never <laughs> see her turn into one, because technically we never see anyone turn into a werewolf in this movie. <laughs> and in fact, it's funny, because they could have played with the idea that it was all in their heads, but of course, once we see his face have that bit of Scanners-ish makeup, we're like, well, I guess it wasn't. Um, I, we should, by the way, mention that the reason that we are uh, pointing out the homoerotic elements in this movie is because David Dakota is an openly gay filmmaker and has directed a series of gay-themed horror films. Uh, he has a 1313 series, which I think has, has something like like 12 or 13 movies actually in that series, including 
wicked stepbrother and boy crazies and giant killer bees uh, all throughout the um, recent years, which are uh, horror movies that are particularly directed towards uh, a gay-friendly audience. And it's hard not to watch a movie like this, which has a lot of... Uh, uh, male actors stripping down um, and crawling on all fours in some fucking scenes. And it, there is a homoerotic element, but I do wonder sometimes whether it's because we know that this was directed by David Dakota that we might fixate on these things a little more. Going back over to you, Duncan, how gay was this movie? Yeah. Um, not as gay as I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> in fairness. Um, it started off... There was a vibe starting to come from it where I was thinking, all right, this is obviously a vehicle for the director to maybe put forward fantasies that he may have on screen for whatever purposes. I'll leave that to the listeners' imaginations. Um, But I found it at times surprisingly reserved. I've seen movies from, from directors who are openly gay that, that make content, which is obviously fulfilling said fantasies that go a lot further than this movie did. Um, When I likened it to an episode of Charmed earlier on, I think it kind of falls into that kind of almost TV movie kind of campness that kind of comes out kind of post-Buffy, pre-Charmed, or uh, Charmed would have been about that era as well, of maybe trying to be a bit more edgy than it necessarily can be or is. Um, So whilst, yes, there are a lot of uh, naked male torsos in this movie, um, the the content itself tries to still ground itself, essentially, in a kind of more heterosexual environment without necessarily being overtly homosexual, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I I do wonder sometimes if... You know, we, we talk about, uh, you mentioned that it might be kind of uh, a vision of, of the fantasies of the director. But maybe I think it's a lot more accurate to say that it, it's he is aiming for a certain audience or trying to gain an audience that usually does not get appealed to at all in filmmaking, right? So in the case of a movie like this, if it was women stripping down and focusing on their bare torsos or their breasts or whatever, we wouldn't bat an eye and we wouldn't necessarily say that the director was, was acting out his fantasies in the film, but in this movie, because it's something we don't see that often, uh, and it, it does kind of stick out to us, it, it probably makes us kind of uh, focus our attention on it a little bit more. I think it makes us turn the lens inward on ourselves. It's the void. We look in, and it looks right back at us. Duncan, what's your favorite werewolf movie? Ah, uh, see, this I, like, I knew this question was coming. Yeah. Um, and this is one that always kind of, like, I... I'm not the biggest werewolf fan, actually. Um, it's one of those subgenres of, and I'm, you know me, <laughs> big horror guy. It's one of those ones that, I mean, there are plenty of obvious answers, and you know, it's very difficult at any time to see people like distinguish between something like American Werewolf in London, which is a masterpiece. It's like no doubt about it. Landis crafts a masterpiece there, and I do have an affinity for the aforementioned Silver Bullet I mentioned before. Mm. Um, I would. I, I always tend to go for the underdog, um, and as much as I want to say wolf, because I think it's one of those '90s movies that gets overlooked, like so easily as being something inherent to the decade without necessarily accepting what it does. The one that I always come back to, which isn't necessarily a werewolf movie, but I think it's so interesting and so different from the majority of the genre, is Brotherhood of the Wolf. Ah, oh, yes. Um, 
I, I, well, I'm a huge fan of that movie, and I, I still think it's criminally underseen, even mm. though it plays into the, the mythology of a werewolf um, back during the, the kind of French Revolution. Um, I find the story fascinating, and the fact that they twist it and take it in the direction that they do uh, is one of these things where it's not quite a horror movie, it's not quite an action movie, and it's not quite a period drama. It lies somewhere in between, but I think all of the elements are given enough recognition uh, to to make the movie itself just something that's wholly unique sure. uh, and a genre which is like is all about either effects or it's all about uh, you're all about the horror. Um, sometimes the story itself can be just as impactful, and I think that one handles it really well. No, I agree, and I, that's a movie. That's the kind of movie I really like, where you can't really pinpoint a genre. It really does cross over in a lot of really weird, interesting ways. Also, a beautiful looking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam, you've had a lot mm-hmm. of time to think about this. Your favorite mm-hmm. werewolf movie? Oh, uh, American Werewolf in London. Nice. Well, that's a boring answer. I know. I know. Here's the thing. I. I. I <laughs> Was gonna just let it sit and not care, but the reality is this because is, you have a child now that you've become so boring. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, you asshat. Uh, the reality is that um, I always say that one because it really is my favorite, and I don't yeah. think I should have to apologize for that. <laughs> but if I have to pick another movie, the the thing it, once you get past, it's funny because you know what Duncan was just saying about the story aspect. But honestly, I think the reason many werewolf movies don't work for me mm-hmm. is completely shallow in right. that werewolf transformations are difficult. So yeah. there are a few movies that I think are pretty strong in which the werewolves themselves make the movie not a movie I necessarily enjoy as much, which is why I'm going to pick a movie that I don't think is a great movie. But what I love about it is it mixes my favorite parts with my least favorite parts of a werewolf transformation. That's okay. Bad Moon. Oh. The nice. werewolf in Bad Moon is amazing. The transformation of the werewolf in Bad Moon is like the worst example <laughs> of trying to blend CGI and practical effects that exists that I've ever seen, period. <laughs> Second it's worst so... ever American Werewolf in Paris, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, that's a good point. But it's it's so – I don't know if you've watched it recently, but the transformation scene is next-level bad, just unbelievably bad. And so um, – but the rest of the movie I think is pretty good, and I think the actual werewolf, once it exists and you don't see it transforming, is awesome, just right. really scary and cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I would go with Bad Moon, okay. um, though I have a soft spot for Wolfen, but Wolfen is not a werewolf movie. Okay. It's, well, it's weird. It's a subgenre that I think maybe even back to the the, the original Wolfman is one of these one of these kind of subgenres where that transformation becomes so important. You know, it was a right. very cutting edge kind of practical effect back then, and then when you travel through time and then you see how it's been handled in different movies, and American Werewolf in, in London really does send that set this kind of weird benchmark of practical effects and what what you could do with camera trickery and practical effects that almost is the, like exactly what Liam was saying it's almost as if they focus so intent on making sure that the transformation this big reveal is is so great that sometimes it's so easy to overlook the rest of the story um what shouldn't you know like any other subgenre you really shouldn't be doing that but in this one they do it and as such there are there are tons of great movies that they were like oh well the transformation is great but like when you start picking holes at the story they don't work 
Um, and I think that's what makes like the ones that are that's what makes American Werewolf in London so great is that the fact that the the writing's so good, the script's good, acting, score, you know, everything is a complete package. Sure. Um, that I think it's I, I genuinely think of all the sub all the subgenres that are out there, it is specifically in that genre, it is the one that is the most difficult. Yeah. To get right, and mm-hmm. you saw that with the Benicio del Toro Wolfman, Wolfman yeah, remake. Where it just it felt flat all the way through it, and it shouldn't great all star cast, um, good director, you know, lots of money flung at it, and why Rick Baker it on the effects, uh, though he was yeah, very disappointed with resonate? how that, that turned out. Um, I mean, there's, I think it, it, apparently there was a whole lot of issues on that set that might have contributed <laughs> yeah. to it. Uh, I just want to mention quickly, um, of course, my favorite uh, werewolf movie is an American Werewolf in London. Um, <laughs> Uh, so boring, dog. So boring. <laughs> but uh, we we haven't mentioned the Howling, which of course is the other movie that you have to pair up with American Werewolf in London. I love it very, very much. Also, want to mention the Company of Wolves, another movie. I love yep. that I movie. Love yep. Yeah, love yep. that movie very much. And uh, since I need to uh, stump for Canadian films, I'll also mention Ginger Snaps and its sequels. And so uh, good, so good, so 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 good. I guess you oh, guys do like Werewolf. Twenty fifteen title called Howl. Okay. From the UK, which is basically werewolves on a train. Trust me, it's worth it. It's British. Watch it. And I guess. And I dog soldiers. Dog, dog soldiers, soldiers. That's what I was just going to mention. And just one more. Dark Moon Rising featured here on Eric Roberts. No, is that is the worst movie ever. <laughs> Never watch it. <laughs> Speaking I was of. that down as well. It was Dark Moon Rising. No, yeah, no, you should. Mission. You should definitely watch that as soon as you watch Science Crazed. Um, yeah. Dark Moon Rising uh, featured one Mr. Eric Roberts in it, who also appears in this film as Dyson Keller, who for much of the film is sort of the uh, the core. Uh, the, he's the guy who is the leader of all of these Wall Street wolves, and he kind of both gives advice to our lead, but also kind of stymies him, tries to take his girlfriend, all that sort of shit. What did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in this movie, Liam? You know, it's funny because um, this is like a... <sighs> It was good. It was a good. It was good. Eric Roberts. It was. It was something that I've kind of gotten used to. That I really like about him is this kind of smarmy, villainy Eric Roberts. Like there's something about him kind of walking around. I mean, at one point he whips his dick out and pees on a guy. Yes. And uh, the whole performance is kind of like that. It's just him walk around, kind of crotch forward, like look at me, you know. Um, but the thing is, is I'm I I was wondering this, and I and I'd like to know what you think. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's getting to the point where I wonder if this sort of performance is actually kind of easy for him right. because I see him now I ha- watching more of his films through this podcast. He does this a character a lot or a yeah. version of this character a lot. And I'm wondering if this has actually become an easy thing for him to do. Um, and it's more the whiny manic Eric Roberts. That's kind of hard. That that's a little bit more of a stretch for him. I don't know, but I, I think you're onto the something only... there, Liam, because I do feel like those whiny kind of, uh, that, that they're both kind of layers of slimy or levels of it. But, right. but here it's very much reserved, you know, dominate the room, um, you know, front and center while the one where he's kind of, um, where, where. Even back to to his performance in like Heaven's Prisoners, where he has to play someone who takes a back seat in some ways or feels yeah. like he's not dominant. That's yeah. where it's a real. That's where you really notice that he has a lot of of skill that goes into it. So I guess in a way, this is Eric Roberts playing the hits. But considering some of the things that we watch normally, uh, I'm okay with him playing the hits. And in this particular movie, 
as far as I'm concerned, he is the only actor in the film. Um, well, I guess you could count the landlady. She's pretty good. Uh, well, do you know but, who she is? Leo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Louise what, Lasser. Lasser. Yeah, Lasser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was Mary uh, Hartman on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman back in the 70s. Yep. The so it's like the two of them, and she's only in the movie for two minutes. So yeah, she in, certainly in, is. In that way, he really stands out. But I think just on another level, it's not a standout Eric Roberts performance for me. It's just good. Fair enough. Over to you, Duncan. What did you think of Eric Roberts in Wolves of Wall Street? Uh, like I said earlier on, I actually thought his performance was solid. Uh, I think there is a there's a degree of bravado that comes along with pretty much every like even casting my mind over the movies I've seen before. And I think Liam like hits the nail on the head. I think this is his default typecast. Eric Roberts' performance. I don't think he has to do any work for it. I don't think he really needs to stretch at all. I think um, he feels very comfortable. He fits that role. He has a particular look about him, which is kind of smarmy. Um, it's almost on some level a little bit elitist, and he fits that role perfectly. And as a, as a result of that, he's maybe not necessarily pushing himself, but in terms of authentic performances in the movie, he's He's by far the most authentic. Like from the moment you meet him, you're like, right, this guy's a bit sleazy. There's something going on that he's not telling us. And as the movie progresses, funnily enough, you mentioned it earlier on. I think the the bluff in this movie is actually like almost borderline genius if it had been handled <laughs> a little bit better. Uh, because for the most of this, for for the majority of this movie, I was convinced that he was going to be the head werewolf, and the fact that they pulled the rug. From under my feet, and a movie like this did did surprise me. I, think- I feel like the I feel like the switch was taken from that uh, Simpsons episode where it's a parody of Bram Stoker's Dracula, and <laughs> at the end they kill Mr. Burns, and they find out that he's not the head vampire. He's it's actually Marge one. Simpson. <laughs> I'm the head vampire, so I feel like it came right from there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's one of these things where it's as obvious if you're going to put a name of kind of his stature so to speak and a movie like this that and he's on that side of the the divide you're gonna you're gonna default to thinking that he's the main one and the fact that they didn't do that on some levels is not like i say it's not the greatest reveal ever i think what he does really well is i think when you see some of the other actors who are Delivering lines, but not really delivering substance. I think that's where Eric Robert shines. Is right. even though some of these lines are very, very, very flat, he puts them forward in such a way that you do believe them. And whilst this maybe not necessarily is the greatest Eric Roberts performance, it does indicate that there's a reason he gets as much work as he does. Um, he's 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 obviously an an actor who can show up. Deliver what he needs to do, and then on to the next scene. Um, yeah. Reliability. I, I have not seen the multitude that you guys have seen. <laughs> I, I actually thought his performance was probably the best thing in the movie. I think I think it's, it, it's pretty clear that it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the fucking man. I'm going to stay with you, Duncan. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in Wolves of Wall Street? Ooh, I, but yeah, he's the best thing in Wolves of Wall Street. I didn't ask that. I said, is he the fucking man? <laughs> <laughs> he is the fucking man. He's Eric Roberts. All right, over to you. I Liam. almost, I almost wanted to, I almost wanted to sell my mother down the fucking the stream to get a job in there to get the ring to be part of his weird clicky group, so I could piss off the top of a building and be part of their gang. I there was there. Go. 
That's it. I'll strip but, off and like do some weird thing to a prostitute. I feel I feel like you've gone from talk, complaining about that this movie was so bad that you wanted to turn it off to being so engaged with it that you wanted to join with the characters. It's the greatest in thing it. ever. Now, now that through this discussion, <laughs> I realized that this was a movie that I wanted to complete myself, and now I'm complete. I, I feel I feel like I should spend the rest of my life dedicating myself to watching this movie once a night. That's take not it, happen. take it into your heart, Duncan. Liam is. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, you don't seem that engaged with that, but I'll let it go. <laughs> no, I mean, he. yeah, he, he he's, yet again, he's the best thing in the movie. He's the only person who's doing anything. Um, it, it's, it, I, I, I don't want it to make it seem like because I'm getting used to this performance that it's not solid. It's a solid performance. He doesn't mm-hmm. phone it in. But I... I'm just, as someone who's watching more and more Eric Roberts movies, I'm looking forward to the movies where he kind of stretches himself a little bit. Well, that's fair enough. You know what I thought? Like, uh, you're talking about, like, uh, performances and stretching, etc. I was thinking to myself while watching this movie that, see if Eric Roberts could do, like, I don't know, some martial arts or, like, a, a spinning back kick or something uh, like you that. Mean, you mean best of the best, Eric Roberts? Yeah, I think he could. Yeah, you know what, you know what I mean? I think Eric Roberts is essentially, if, if this guy had, like, an action skill... So to speak, like when these, you know, you know, kung fu grips sold separately, you know, one of these sort of things. I genuinely think, like, there are a ton of actors that we grew up watching in lots of movies in the eighties and nineties, who really got by because they had a particular look, or they they had a particular physique, or they could do a spinning back kick like really, really, really well. Um, but they had longevity, not because of how they acted, it's because of the action that they could do. And Eric Roberts is the the solid part of what those actors could do minus the action part. <laughs> you know, watching them, I, I kind of feel like if this guy had like, this guy had some sort of quirk, you know, if he could do the splits and then a backflip or something like that in every movie, then, you know, we'd be talking about him a lot more with a lot more reverence. Um, and that's, that's kind of what he's missing. I just feel You're like taking all those Michael Dudikoff roles in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's all he's missing. He's missing a quirk because everything else is there. You know, he's like if we're if we're comparing him to the actor of someone like Van Damme, he's a fucking better actor than Van Damme. But Van Damme can do the splits and a spinning back kick, so I mean, we'll remember I hesitate, Van Damme more. I hesitate to mention again that this is an Academy Award-nominated actor <laughs> who did also <laughs> end up appearing in The Expendables with a lot of the people that you were just referring to. I know, that's the weird thing. That's the, that's the weird thing. And actually, I think he's one of the best things in The Expendables as well. So there you go. The tagline for Wolves of Wall Street is, Some brokers are a different kind of animal. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 2002's Wolves of Wall Street, a uh, a movie that is not as poor as some of the David Dakota movies that we've watched in uh, recent years. It actually um, it could be mistaken for an actual movie shot on 35mm film with a soundtrack and actors. Some of these actors have gone on to do a lot of great work. Uh, I think the lead ended up on a whole season of Justified a few years back, which, by the way, Eric Roberts also ended up on at one point. So, it you know, there is a pedigree here. Pedigree, get it? Because they're wolves. Um, <laughs> but, but Eric Roberts in this movie, in Wolves of Wall Street, is the fucking man. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about an episode of Fear Itself, an anthology horror series from just a few years back. We'll be back right after this.
Harry Siegel is a private investigator who, several years earlier, was dismissed from the police force after accidentally killing a suspect during interrogation. Now he's taken on a case for a woman whose husband she suspects is cheating on her. After setting up in a house across from his target, he begins observation. However, Siegel is about to discover that his past is coming back to haunt him. It's season one, episode two of Fear Itself from the year 2008. Now, uh, this requires a little bit of explanation in regards to what this show was. You may recall that in the early 2000s, there was a TV series called Masters of Horror. Uh, and this was uh, produced by Mick Garris and put together by him. Of course, Mick Garris directed a lot of TV adaptations of Stephen King novels, uh, as well as Critters 2 for fans of that series. Uh, so Mick Garris put together basically an all-star crew of directors, including Dario Argento and John Carpenter and Toby Hooper and uh, Takashi Miike. And they were given basically free reign to make one hour long mini movies uh, on whatever topic they'd like, you know, Fairly limited budgets, but with name cast members in it. And some of those episodes are really good, including the Takeshi Miike one, which is so good and so crazy and violent that they pushed out. <laughs> it's not a term that I tend to use very often. And they refused to air it, but they did put it out on DVD, so good on them. Um, so... Masters of Horror lasted for two seasons, was a minimal success. I mean, there were some good episodes, but there were a lot of ones that were kind of disappointing. But after that, McGarris went to... NBC, I believe this was on NBC, a network to try to do another version of the series with, again, big-name directors, uh, in this case, including Stuart Gordon, John Landis, uh, Ronnie Yu, um, the singer Rupert Wainwright, for some reason, uh, and and do, again, another series like this, except in this case with a more um, limited scope, because not only did you have to, to uh, deal with commercial breaks, but also with uh, the restrictions that network television put on a series like this. And it only lasted for one season in this case. And to be totally honest with you, I haven't really watched an episode before this. This is my first time. This episode was called Spooked and was directed by Brad Anderson, who you might know as the director of Session 9, which is a really great movie, and The Machinist, which is uh, quite good as well, and as well as the movie Trans-Siberian. He's also done a ton of TV work for, like, The Wire and a bunch of very notable series. Uh, And uh, so when I did read that, I was like, well, this could actually be something special. But was it? Liam, starting with you, what did you think of? spooked well it was not as bad as it could be which <laughs> sounds like faint raves praise, but... raves from liam o'donnell uh, well let me put it this way um the idea of an anthology horror show on network television especially what year was this out 2008 yeah um that sounds bad to me like i, I went into mm. this kind of thinking i've never heard of this it even has actors in it, like when I was looking into it, that are people who I like. So um, I should have heard of it, and I hadn't. So I was kind of worried that it was going to be pretty bad. And and parts of it, I think, work. I mean, I think it, it's filmed pretty good, and um, it, there are a few of those recognizable actors, but there were people who were probably more popular in the early 2000s, and now this is like probably their last gasp before you never see them again. But still, um, it, 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 a lot of it was pretty good. The problem for me is that the plot itself in that um, uh, who Harry Siegel is played by Eric Roberts, what sort of happens to him and how they show us what happens to him. (laughs) And then kind of the big reveal at the end, which we don't have to get into right at this moment. Let's say there is a big reveal. uh, None of that worked. It was like it didn't matter that um, it didn't matter necessarily how I felt about some of the effects or 
uh, there's a couple like kind of not jump scares, but like quick cuts that I didn't love. But then there were some other moments that I thought were pretty good. None of that matters because the story for me was so stupid that I just kept focusing on that, even though, you know, as a whole, it's it was watchable. It wasn't it wasn't terrible. Eric Roberts sort of, you know, he wasn't doing anything special, but he he, he was all right. Um, some of the other people in it were 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 pretty good. I just uh I was not feeling excited about the story, even from the opening scene. And then it just kept getting worse until the reveal. I was like, oh, I really don't like this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, quality wise, it's not bad. It's it's pretty good. And, and, and it makes me kind of think, like, maybe I, I'm willing to watch other episodes of the sure. show. But this particular episode would have bummed me out if I had been a fan of the show at the time. Uh, I remember being very skeptical of the show even when it was on the air. Um, I want to elaborate a little bit on the plot. So the, mo- the, the movie, the the episode begins with Eric Roberts' character, Harry Siegel, as a police officer. And he's trying to find a kid who's apparently been kidnapped. And he's interrogating, basically torturing a suspect. And he accidentally, in the process of that, kills him. And we find out afterwards that he has a, a history of being a very kind of abusive police officer, not the most sympathetic guy in the world. We also learn very quickly that he's not the kind of person who usually uses a gun. That might come back to haunt him at some point. Um, (laughs) uh, So uh, he gets uh, busted uh, and uh, sent to a psychiatrist who then uh, makes him basically lose his job. And uh, Sorry, not a psychiatrist. He he goes to a lawyer who, because he ends up, uh, the, the child that he saves is like a senator's kid, he ends up not going to jail but ends up losing his job. So he becomes a private investigator it jumps ahead 15 fucking years, which you're supposed to believe that Eric Roberts with some hair dye at the beginning is 15 years younger than he is a little bit later, and it's pretty crazy. Um, and then we he has a private investigation business where he teams up with D'Angelo Barksdale from The Wire, uh, played by Lawrence Gilliard Jr., who I actually think is a great actor. He was on The Walking Dead in recent seasons as well. Um, and he is hired by a woman to spy on her husband, who she thinks is cheating on her. Uh, And we, of course, very quickly realize there's more to that story than meets the eye. Duncan, what did you think of this episode of Fear Itself? This was a weird one for me because I knew nothing about this show at all. Um, And up until recently, in the last couple of years, I wasn't really aware of Masters of Horror. It it wasn't something that had made its way over to the UK in the the kind of format that I had in in the US. And so I was doing a bit of research, as you do. Mick Mm -hmm. Garris is a director that I don't have much love for. Um, He's one of those guys that everyone in horror loves the guy. And he has like a podcast now that's very well received. And he's brought like all of these amazing names together. And he just seems like a great, great guy. And I hate his movies. Like, I just don't like (laughs) any of them. I get the feeling that it's like honestly, I think it's I think it's that way where he's obviously done so many he's done so much work with King. Um and he's obviously a good friend with Stephen King and I see why he's done it because he's he's very middle of the road. He doesn't really do anything that excites me. Um I love Hocus Pocus. I think it's probably the best thing <laughs> the guy's ever done. Um but out with that I mean, his interpretation of the his version of The Shining is one of the most bland, banal things I've ever seen in my entire life, and it just kind of goes through that. So I was I wasn't expecting much, but when you do a bit more research and you see that uh, Matt Venny, the the uh, the guy that did um, like he did the adaptation for Pelts, which mm-hmm. is one of the masters of horror things I saw recently, I fucking loved it. Um, and you know, directed by the guy that did Session Nine, Session Nine, and even The Machinist. Two movies that I absolutely adore. So, you know, I'm going in this 
with fairly high expectations and very much like what Liam was saying, it, it kind of starts off with a bit of promise and there is a visual style about it that I really dug. And Eric Roberts is actually, once again, really good in this. Where, in fact, I, I think he's, he's shown a bit more of that depth that yeah. he wanted from earlier performances. I think he does kind of play this wounded, tortured character in a, in a way which I felt, you're less smarmy. <laughs> than we saw in sure. like the previous outing. Um, there's a bit more depth to the character. The the story itself does really fall apart. Um, and it doesn't fall apart really quickly, but it does get to a certain point where I thought, right, what are we doing here? Where are we going? Why do we want to go there? Um, and why are we doing these, these choices that we are? Um, and it did, like, for all the promise this episode had of, you know, potentially kind of like this idea of kind of tortured characters and haunted areas etc it just never really delivered on the level i wanted but as an outing of a tv show where i'm seeing the second episode it did actually pique my interest enough that i was like that i would like to see the first episode i'd like to see the back to where this is coming and you know potentially even see one or two more episodes after it sure just to see where it went if there's enough in here where i'm like that this is a precursor to a lot of what a lot of what we're seeing on tv now is is here right might not necessarily be handled to the same reverence or style but a lot of what i watch now on tv in the horror capacity there is a blueprint there's you know there is elements here there's a foundation of those things that move forward in this episode it's It's, not great but it it was interesting it's interesting because we're just on the verge of apparently uh horror anthology tv making a comeback uh there's a new tales Mm -hmm. from the crypt series that's just about to start uh produced by m night Shyamalan. there were talks actually many talks in recent years of tales from the dark side making a return i think there's another series as well that's about to happen there's periodically they bring back uh, The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, and I imagine we'll see reboots of at least The Twilight Zone in the next few years again as well. So there's, there is a, a demand or at least a, a hope for something like this to be good, but anthology series are notoriously difficult. Uh, and even the great ones have a lot of bum episodes in them. Even even The, the Twilight Zone, which is the, the peak of that as a genre has a lot of episodes which yeah you know they're just kind of predictable especially at this point now that we're we're 40 or 50 or 60 years removed from it um but i do want to just just stop for a second and ask both of you uh what are your particular favorite uh anthology series of any kind horror or not i don't just why don't i start with uh, with you liam that's a good question, um, and it's one I feel ill-equipped to answer because I grew up with Tales from the Dark Side, and I loved it, and you are informing me now as an adult that it was shitty. So I don't you know. know. What? <laughs> you know, our good friend of the show, Mike Merriman, who I record with sometimes, he does uh, the podcast Evil Episodes, and they ended up on that show watching the entire series of Tales from the Dark Side. And I guested on a few of those episodes and watched a few on my own. And I think the general consensus was the first few seasons, when they had a little bit more of a budget, had sporadic good episodes. But in like the last like two or three seasons, it's almost all dreck. Basically, I have only watched Tales from the Dark Side, which I watched when I was a kid, when it was on uh, UHF channel. I think it was 57 in Philly. And it was something I watched because it was on before dinner. So sure. this channel, it would actually have reruns of uh, Dark Shadows would go into to what I'm assuming were syndication of Tales from the Dark Side. So I don't, um, I don't have a lot of experience. And then later on in life, I watched Tales from the Crypt. 
Again, I wouldn't even know if I watched full seasons, but sure. I've seen a good amount of episodes of that, and I, and I do like it, though there were some stinkers there as well. Other than that, I don't think I've watched any other anthology things. I've watched uh, episodes of uh, Twilight Zone, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. I've watched episodes of a few other uh, series, but nothing that it's had an impact on me. It's only those two shows that I've watched a lot of, and all of my memories of Tales from the Dark Side sort of end probably when i was eight like i don't think i watched it past that so um i don't i don't have a good answer for that when i was growing up um tales from the crypt were not was not available here in canada there was no way to watch it and they eventually started airing episodes of it on the cbc believe it or not uh but they were the syndicated version so it had all the violence and nudity cut out of it yeah um so i you know it gave you a real weird perspective on what those were all about or why people gave a shit about them uh that's it it is a series that has its high and low points but it still was kind of consistently interesting which is why i think people have a lot of positive feelings specifically about tales from the crypt uh duncan do you have any particular uh horror anthology or or anthologies of any kind that you have, have positive feelings about um, there's actually a couple. Um, I, I would say that obviously the ones you mentioned, like things like I, I, I'm a firm fan of of things like the Twilight Zone, even though I've not watched every Twilight Zone episode. Sure. Um, certainly, it's something that I think is so far ahead of its time and still the benchmark for what they're doing there. Tales from the Crypt, albeit we did get it at weird times in the UK over here. Uh, there's a fantastic one which is based on, uh, it aired in the UK, I don't know if it ever made its way over that way, um, based on Roald Dahl, short right. stories called uh, Tales of the Unexpected, uh-huh. which used to torment the ever-loving fuck out of me as a child. It used to come on really late on a Sunday night, and I, uh, even back then, had kind of problems with sleeping that you would watch this and even the the theme music and the trippy kind of weird james bond-esque intro with a weird kind of kaleidoscope vision and that used to torment me and they were all like i say based on these roald dahl short stories that he'd written for it um i, I would like to like i think one of the ones that is is most prominent now is american horror story and even though that's sure. not necessarily an anthology in terms of like episode to episode it's season to season I genuinely think even at his worst, it is one of the most interesting TV shows on just now within the genre. And that I think it's it also really, it's the success of that that probably has prompted the the yeah. reboots of these upcoming series. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it just delivers like it, it throws really it throws everything in the, in the mix. And sometimes what you watch is great, and some seasons are fantastic, other seasons are less. So, but it's really kind of birthed this new push for it and. Um, I saw Channel Zero, um, which is obviously the new sci-fi version of mm-hmm. the American Horror Story based on um, Creepypastas, which I also thought was fucking brilliant as well. So I think I think there's a, the whole scope out there, and they're obviously... The, I, I, I prefer the ones that don't try to be the Twilight Zone. Sure. I prefer the ones that try and encapsulate a whole season or try and deliver a whole story over however many episodes, 6, 10, 12 or whatever, and then get out. And then the next season we can reboot and start again. And I think there's a lot more scope for that. It's, it's certainly, a, a, I, I still think, an underutilised genre in TV. I think it very much kind of gravitates towards films with mm-hmm. the many anthology film series that we've seen, whether it's VHS it's, or... It's a really hard... 
it's a really hard thing because it's hard, you know, it isn't the kind of show that you would necessarily be able to binge watch, which something like American Horror Story you can, right? Because it is Definitely. season to season uh, that it can be kind of Moorish. But for a lot of people, you know, you can watch an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and not necessarily want to watch another one right afterwards. And that's the kind of thing that people kind of push for these days. Do you want to mention quickly Night Gallery, which is another series that I really enjoy, and Amazing Stories, the Steven Spielberg produced series, uh, which I believe Brian Fuller is trying to bring back um, and is in the process of bringing back right now nice. uh, in terms of notable series uh, like that. Coming back to this show <laughs> that we ended up watching, <laughs> uh, we let's talk about the twist because we are running can, out of time here. Can Sorry, I can I name two things that we didn't mention yet that I think are important to mention? Please. To kind of get across. One is because you said he Eric Roberts tortures this guy to death. And the part of that that really bummed me out is that he just sluts the guy's throat. And I and I that that particular sequence was how the show started and it just bummed me out. Because I didn't understand he's just so mad that he just cuts the guy's throat. Like I don't just, think I don't think that's how it's supposed to play out. I think it's supposed to be he's so mad he's slicing the guy up a little bit, and in the in the in the process of that, he ends up nicking his artery in his neck and he accidentally kills him. But why would you put the knife near – first of all, I don't – of the torture techniques available, why not just beat the dude? Like I don't understand the cutting as the as – it, immediately I was not in it. And then the other thing we haven't mentioned is that the guy he's cutting on who later shows up in ghost form is the guy from Event Horizon who's like, the dark – and he like gets possessed and he goes out in the airlock. <laughs> and I think that is a very important thing to mention because Event Horizon is the fucking nightmare scenario film. So uh, I just had to put that out there. That those are both very important things to mention, and it does play in to the twist in this movie. So spoiler alert for episode two of Fear itself: uh, the twist ends up being that the woman who hires Eric Roberts to watch her husband, he's actually watching an empty house. Uh, she is the sister of the person he tortured 15 years before at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, and she knows that the house that he's staying in to watch that other house is haunted. And it kind of, I guess, plays with your biggest fears or something along those lines. There are actually some really legitimately, I find, creepy moments in this, specifically regarding some of the, the paintings that are on the wall, which are supposed to be about a murdered family and the connections that are made to Eric Roberts' psyche. But I feel like a lot of that is undone because... We don't really need to understand Eric Roberts' weird mental state in this. He's a damaged person, it's clear, right from the very beginning. There's a reason he doesn't use guns very often, though I imagine to get through the police force training, he had to use a fucking gun quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but but they explain that. It, it kind of felt like they were explaining something that didn't need to necessarily be explained. But Liam, why doesn't he use a gun? Because when he was a kid, he shot his brother. He shot his fucking brother in the fucking By mistake, face. Just playing around with the gun, like, "Hey, we're having fun here," and oh, you're shot. And in then fact, his, his dad, brother kind of his it's it is kind of a sympathetic moment. So what it is? They're watching Howdy Doody, which, by the way, I don't think Eric Roberts is old enough that he'd necessarily be watching Howdy Doody at that age. But he's watching Howdy Doody with his brother, and his brother's like, "Want to see something cool?" And they go get the, from the closet. They get their dad's gun. And he, like, passes it to Eric Roberts as a kid. And he's like, here, don't worry. There's no bullets in it. Don't be scared. And he's like, let's play guns. And, like, let's shoot at each other. He's basically begging his brother to shoot him with the bullet that's in that fucking gun. Uh, and it happens. 
And then the father is like, oh shit, my son is dead. And he decides that what they're going to do is bury the kid because his wife is already dead. Bury the kid and pretend that the kid ran away and they, they didn't have anything to do with it. Because he, I guess, was a police officer and he was afraid he'd lose his job and probably his entire life if, uh, if this got out. So it is kind of a bummer, wouldn't you say, Liam? Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, I... <sighs> It's believable that this would have an effect on Eric Roberts. It's just a lot to take in in like a quick flashback thing and then to find out all the other. There's just a lot in the back end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, they really want to play with it being sort of a um, an interesting look into his psyche because he's in this haunted Location and again, Session Nine is such a great movie that is plays with a lot of these haunted house cliches already. But he's like going through doors and he ends up in his like childhood home as he goes through it, and you can see the panic on his face. And there's there's some interesting stuff there. It's just that it feels kind of shoehorned isn't fair because it really it all does lead up to it in some ways. But it also feels like once it happens, you're like, oh, so that's what this is all about. Duncan, what did you think of the twist in this in this episode? Kind of like what you guys are already saying, I just want to echo it. Um, I just felt that there was so much detail. This is the danger about trying to... This almost felt like it could have been a movie on some level. You could you could have stretched this out to an hour and 20 comfortably and given right. us enough opportunity to experience the, the character arc, the, you know, the the backstory and the reveal in such a way which would have felt non-rushed. But the, the the way it builds up and the way it eventually tries to cram essentially what is a good half an hour of your average TV show or movie into essentially what is like 10 minutes of TV time, just it, it, it didn't have the same impact. It didn't feel like the impact was warranted because of how little time you had to get it. You were getting so many revelations while watching it that you weren't getting enough time to uh, almost accept the gravity of what was happening on the screen before the next thing was happening oh my god what they're doing oh no i'd never you know this sort of idea of back to back just kind of it was almost like an info dump um towards the the back end of the episode Mm -hmm. i I do genuinely think though that eric roberts performances is what kind of makes it less almost twee, you know what I mean? His performance really does, the emotion on his face, the, the way he interacted within the scenario really does kind of sell it. I just would have liked a bit more breathing room. and I, I'm totally aware that that's a phrase that Hitler once used, but, <laughs> um, you know, we could, <laughs> this TV show could have done with that. You know, just a bit of time to, to really explore and feel out the elements here because this is not necessarily reinventing the wheel. This is a story we're all very familiar with. Um, in terms of kind of Hollywood horror, but yeah. it pays off in a movie format because you have the time to develop things a bit further. I do like that this is an Eric Roberts starring episode, right? I mean, this is yeah. all about him and his character, and it follows him kind of beginning to end. So it does allow for a bit of emotional, um, an emotional change in him. The, the funny thing and the interesting thing about this episode, and the thing that I really did like, was that he is really walking a line in terms of his sympatheticness, right? Because he he was he he was a, a cop who beat the shit out of innocent people sometimes and hurt them seriously, which is pretty much the least sympathetic person that I can think of in my entire life. And when I think about the people in this world that I dislike the most, it would be like a cop who takes advantage of his position. And it is something that we're all kind of really aware of and concerned of in the year 2017. 
However, he's also is a damaged person. He is a person who tr- who recognizes that he's done terrible things and does feel bad about it in some ways, and he does kind of cop to that. But he also is kind of a piece of shit, and maybe he should pay for that. And super spoiler alert, he does pay for it because his partner who has bought a very fancy gun and likes to show it off, ends up at the very end of the episode. Eric Roberts ends up in the uh, in the apartment of the woman who was the brother of the person he killed at the beginning, confronting her. And then uh, his partner here is like, yells from the room, from the apartment. He goes up. Eric Roberts has taken a gun away from her when he walks in. And the partner just, as a sudden reaction, shoots Eric Roberts and kills him at the end of the episode. Very sad, very tragic, very ironic. Liam. How was Eric Roberts in this episode? Uh, as uh, it's already been stated, I think he does bring something to the role. Like Duncan kind of nailed it that there's a little bit of like sadness there. But as you said too, it's he's not. It's not that he's exceedingly sympathetic. You know, it's not like you're like. At least for me, I'm kind of like, man, he's kind of an asshole. But he's almost the kind of asshole that you feel bad for. That you're like, oh man, it's kind of tragic that he's such a dick. Um, I don't know. I I, I really I. Again, it's not that it's like his most amazing performance, but it was really solid. And this time it's different because some of the other things seem solid because everything else is so bad. And his co-stars in the show were not that bad. So it's not like he's the lone shining rock among the turds. It's like uh, he's pretty good and other things are pretty good, too. Yeah, and that's actually, there is some style to the filmmaking here as well. It does come through that this is directed by someone with a vision. It just feels neutered and whether it's neutered by the restrictions of NBC whether it's neutered by the restrictions of the budget or the time that they have to make it it's a little hard to say it certainly doesn't compete with the quality of that director's uh work in, in film but it also is better than I was expecting so uh with that said uh I was kind of pleased with it I and I was very happy with Eric Roberts performance in it because of what the layers that 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 character had even though it ended up being kind of clunky by the end. So with that said, Liam, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this episode spooked of fear itself? Yes. Yes, he is. Eric Roberts is the fucking man, says Liam O'Donnell. What does Duncan McLeish say? Uh, no, no. No, I'm all joking. Of course he is. He's fucking oh. brilliant in this episode. You you gave me a legitimate scare there, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> he's better than Wolves of Wall Street. Let's be No, no, he's fucking brilliant in this one. He is oh. the fucking man. I can't... I can't parse this this scottish sense of humor that you're bringing to the show (laughs) (laughs) so i can never tell what you're what you mean and don't but i will say eric roberts is the fucking man in the episode spooked season one episode two of fear itself you know what i might check out a couple more episodes of this as well it certainly is underseen compared to a lot of anthologies and certainly compared to the masters of horror series uh worth your time worth checking out just don't expect too much out of the ending we're going to take a final break, and when we return, we're going to plug a few things and say goodnight to Duncan McLeish. Exploded in our souls. The sound 
Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Episode number 46 is in the can. Yes, we did watch two more Eric Roberts masterpieces, Wolves of Wall Street, and an episode of Fear Itself. I want to give a huge thank you to one Mr. Duncan McLeish, who was good enough to stay up late in Scotland and talk to us about his favorite Eric Roberts projects. Uh, Duncan is someone that I'm a huge fan of, both as a podcaster and a person, and he's someone that I've always wanted and planned to have on this podcast, just waiting for the right time, and the right time was to watch, of course, these two projects. Duncan, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, the, my main avenue of podcasting is through Podcasts Under the Stairs. You can find that on iTunes, just search Podcasts Under the Stairs. We've got a Facebook group page, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teaputs, T-P-U-T-S, teaputs cast. Um, website, teaputscast.com. Um, I pretty much have everything posted on that page. I'll link you to anything else. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, it's visual underscore chaos. Or follow me on the main Twitter, which is at TeaputsCast as well. Yeah, and you should definitely do that right now. And of course, we'll link that in the show notes as well. Liam, I know I bust your balls, but I hope you know that I love you very much. (laughs) And I respect your contribution to the show very much. And I couldn't do this without you. I legitimately couldn't. So I want to know, what do you want people to check out that's connected to your name? You motherfucker. <laughs> Cinepunks.com. C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Um, you can also check out at Cinepunks on Twitter. Um, and you can check out um, Cinepunks on Facebook. Just search Cinepunks. There's not another one. Uh, and when you're on Cinepunks.com, you should check out the other show I do, which is part of the network, Horror Business. Uh, mostly because Horror Business has been a little more active in posting new episodes. Whereas Cinepunks have been a little behind on recording. All right, check all that out and check out and check out Liam at Le- Jesus. Why don't you just snot right in the fucking microphone? <laughs> and check out at Liam Rules, Liam on Twitter. He's a good person to follow, I think, because he promotes all of his stuff there and is just a good person to have in your life, don't you think, Liam? Oh, mother God, fuck. <laughs> you can, of course, find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man at E-R-I-T-F-M on Twitter or at Eric Roberts is the man on uh, on the internet. Uh, I should say Eric Roberts is the man dot com. Uh, and you can find older episodes there. You can subscribe via iTunes. Why don't you leave us a review? We'd appreciate it very much. You can also do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. Join our group there where I post clips from the episodes and from the movies that we're watching and up- updated uh, Eric Roberts related news like a fucking idiot is what I do sometimes. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can go over to farsightedblog.com and check out my recent, uh, I was doing some coverage of the Boston Underground Film Festival. Some short films from that I had a good time watching and I'll have some uh, upcoming work on there as well. Uh, You can find my work over at dorkshelf.com as well. You can find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, at nobudgetpodcast.com or do a search for No Budget Nightmares on 
Facebook. But of course, the one thing that you need to take away from this entire episode is that you should follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. But it's late. We're all very, very tired, especially Liam. Uh, He needs to get back to his family. Duncan needs to get back to his family. I need to get back to my collection of cats and one dog and one wife. So we're going to say goodnight for now from Eric Roberts is the fucking man. But in two weeks, we'll be back once again with two more Eric Roberts projects that will be great. I assure you, please return in two weeks. Good night, everybody. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. 